If you've struggled with stress, balance, or burnout, and simply feel discouraged or even defeated, and if you're ready to move from force to flow and enjoy ultimate Zen success in your career, health, or relationships, then the Zen Success Show is for you. Your host, Carissa Sims, is an entrepreneur, corporate consultant, best-selling author, meditation teacher, and healer who has found her own Zen success. Here's your host, Carissa Sims. Welcome to this week's episode of Zen Success. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. John Demartini. And I've had him on my show before, and I was so excited when his publicist reached out to me about his new book. So we'll be talking about that today. But Dr. John Demartini is a world-leading human behavior specialist, researcher, best-selling author, educator, and founder of the Demartini Method, a revolutionary tool in modern psychology. He has authored 40 books that have been translated into 39 different languages and presented his insights alongside some of the world's most influential people, including Sir Richard Branson and Deepak Chopra. Dr. Demartini's cutting edge methods are the culmination of almost five decades of research across disciplines, including physics, philosophy, theology, metaphysics, psychology, astronomy, mathematics, neurology, and physiology. In fact, you may blend them all together. <laughs> I do. You're going to come up with I your do. own, right? It's your Demartini method, all of it together. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he has synthesized these teachings and incorporated them into his work on human values. Welcome, John. Thank you for having me. I was looking forward to it. Thank you. Uh, Oh, that's great. Do you prefer to be called Dr. Demartini or John? Well, the brand name is drdemartini.com, but usually people go back and forth between them. So that way they people get both. Okay. They'll never know the last name. So that's usually what they do. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. Well, I loved having you on my show last year. I I laughed. I cried. I felt all the emotions of the genius mind that you are and um, just inspiring others to be brilliant. And I'm so thrilled that you're back again to discuss your latest book, The Seven Secret Treasures, A Transformational Blueprint for a Well-Lived Life. See, I have it. I have it here. So I encourage everyone to buy it. And, you know, it's really quick and inspiring and uh, very well structured. So let's just talk about where you're at right now. Are you on your boat again? I'm on my ship and uh, I'm in Saudi Arabia in Jeddah. Oh. I just uh, came in here yesterday. And so I, I sailed in here through part of the Red Sea coming around Yemen underneath uh, Somalia, Ethiopia, and uh, up to Eritrea. And then Sudan, and then finally we're here. And so then we go off to Egypt from here. So I, I move around a bit. Oh, okay. Now, are you going to explore Saudi Arabia? Are you have you been there before? What brought you there? Well, I have an itinerary of where we go around the world. We we circumnavigate the world constantly. Uh-huh. So we were in the Maldives and the Seychelles Islands before that, uh, um, and we were in Oman. Then we were in Sri Lanka and India. So we just 
we move around. We decide where we go and we just start moving around. So, oh, cool. Yes, yeah, so I'll explore some of Saudi Arabia for sure. Uh-huh. Do you plan it out for the year or are you more spontaneous? Um, we, we, in order to get the ports, to get access to the ports, it has to be in advance. Oh, I so see. we usually do a year, a year at least in advance. And, but sometimes we have storms or sometimes we have things that make us go to a different path. Yeah. We stop out in the ocean, just saying, hang out. Yeah. So who do you have with you? Are you with your girlfriend, family? Is there a crew? My, yeah, we have a crew. I have a big crew. So it's a big ship. It's 675 feet long and it's a big ship. So it's a, it has, we have 309 staff. Oh, that, uh, yeah. Live here. Do you have golf? We do. We have a simulator <laughs> and we also have a golf putting green and a little chip thing on it. Yes, we definitely have. <laughs> this is not a cruise ship. This is a private ship. But yeah. we do have that. The system is fantastic for people that love yeah. golf. I I, uh, I sometimes go in there and well, you can pick any of the uh, golf courses around the world that are rated golf courses and pick it up and bring it up and prepare for it before we get there. So that's oh. kind of good for golfers. Oh, that's fun. Yes, just for our audience, we're not advertising his ship like you can go on. <laughs> this is his private ship. He's not, you're not going to do a cruise workshop, right? Anytime soon. No, I do. I do a lot of, I, I start a conference here in, in two and a half hours um, uh -huh. that's in Australia. So I do a lot of conferences on Zoom yeah. from my, um, my apartment here. But yeah. I, um, but I, I, and sometimes I'm going into the cities like I was in uh, Israel recently, uh, just a couple of months ago, and I did a conference in Israel while I was there, and then same in India. So sometimes yeah. when I get in there, we have a live seminar, and sometimes we do it from the ship on Zoom. Oh, that's great. So uh, what yeah. about Egypt? Have you been to Egypt before? Yes, I've been to Egypt, uh, gosh, uh, four times now. Mm -hmm. So the first time was around 32 or three years ago, 32 years ago. <clears throat> first time I went, I had a blast there. It was fantastic. We went and exploring all the different ruins and archaeological sites and uh, learned a lot. I wrote a little book, well, good good sized book on Egyptology, so to prepare for it, so I would have a background. But it's uh, oh, is that just, book to, to, available? That Egyptology book? No, it's it's for a conference. It's for that live program. I took thirty three of my oh, students no. to Egypt, and we went on a journey, and it was for that for group. Oh my god. That is amazing. Yeah. And that number, that's my number. 33. You took 33 people. That's yeah. really special. for some reason it ends up 33. I I've done them in various places. I've done them in the Mayan culture, the Inca culture, the Egyptian oh, yeah? culture, the Tibetan culture, Chinese culture, Greek. Uh -huh. I take people on sometimes and and we usually have a group. And it turns out usually 33 for some reason. <laughs> it's I guess that's capable of managing. I don't know. Yeah. Don't know. Well don't... well, it's also divine. I mean, the number three is a divine number 33 and then getting three together in numerology so it's really special like like you were meant I, I feel like it's confirmation that you were meant to do that with this particular group like everyone who came was meant to be there you know well there's no doubt about that there was definitely a, a, a beautiful resonation of the group and we had a fantastic time you know we did the meditation in the king's chamber Oh we my did God, I did that too. I was just yeah, in Egypt did, yeah. last year. Yeah. For the first time. 
Well, we we were you're not supposed to climb the pyramid, but we did it anyway. There's about oh. twelve of us that climbed. Oh my and God. We had to, you guys are rebels. She got back when we got down, so we we had a, a tough situation there, but we made it through it. Yeah, did you you bribed them? I know you have to carry extra money. And yeah, you know, you, you, I told everybody to bring at least a little bribe money just in case, and that that <laughs> got us out of that. Then we ran like hell through the desert. <laughs> that would make a good movie, actually. That's like exciting. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Oh, that, that's wonderful. Egypt has a special place in my heart. I went there with five other women and we were, they didn't tell us before we went on the trip that you couldn't, they didn't really like you meditating or like singing or doing chanting and doing other things. So it's just interesting, but um, we were able to bribe people and do it anyway. And, and the guard left the King's chamber, which is why we did it in there, which is like so amazing. The synchronicity of that. So yeah, we had a very big meditation. We had a big meditation in there. All I had about thirty of the thirty-three inside the king's chamber. We meditated in there for about four hours. And oh it was my fantastic. god, four hours! Did you have a private access? Yeah, we got private access. That oh. now this is thirty plus years ago, thirty-two yeah. years ago. Yeah, we got private access and paid for the for the chamber for the night. That was pretty good. Oh, see, that's amazing. That's the way to do it. And what about the Sphinx? Did you go? Did you see that and go inside and the, see the Hall of Records? Well, the uh, the Sphinx had a a about a seven foot uh, kind of underground walkway in front of it. Yeah, that Howitz was trying to cover up and keep people from noticing. Uh, but he said, "Well, it was it was waterways." Uh, for moving blocks. And I said, you don't have waterways that are perfectly square, that are perfectly, I said, come on, this that's BS. But yeah. there there has been a labyrinth of, you know, I guess you could say tunnels or whatever you want to call them, a labyrinth underneath that area, unquestionably. So there's more to be discovered there and they're finding new things all the time. So I'm sure the history of Egypt will get tighter and more complete as we go along. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. And even some of the villages, I hear there's probably millions of artifacts, but the people don't want to lose their homes because then the government comes in and they want to dig and find things. But I think it's just everywhere. It's just so magical. It's it's amazing. And the Nile. Right outside the right outside the entrance to the airport where we at that time, I don't know what it is today. I've been there in a while to actually that spot. But right outside, there was a subdivision right on top of Heliopolis, mm -hmm. where it's called the city of On at the time. Uh -huh. And this is supposed to be where, you know, Moses had been taught and everything else. This is the okay. legend. But anyway, the um, but this was excavated 70 feet, 60 to 70 feet down below. There's the city. And so wow. people didn't want to lose their homes, like you say. But these are this is a major find. This is a major city. Incredible. At the Wow. 1200 BC, 1300 BC. Yeah. Wow. Oh God. I'm just, I'm so excited for you guys. I mean, it's going to be amazing. So let's talk about your book. What gave you the inspiration for your latest books, the seven treasures, a transformational blueprint for a well-lived life. Well, since I was 18 years old, I was watching at my parents' house, the little, TV series Kung Fu with David Carradine. Okay. 
And he was this martial artist guy with philosophy. And whenever there was conflict, he would diffuse it with this martial arts without really hurting anybody. And he had a Shaolin master that he used to refer to in his head. And I thought, wow, I'd like to uh, be a master in my life. So I was 18 years old and I thought, I want to master my life. Sounded cool. So then I asked, well, what exactly is a mastery of life entail? And then I divided life into seven areas that we have our spiritual quest to do something that's an inspired mission that we feel is a contribution to the world that we love doing, that we feel is our mission. Then we have a mind development quest to create original ideas that serve human beings on the planet with creative genius. Then we have a vocational uh, quest, which is to create some sort of sustainable fair exchange remuneration and uh, a trend trends action that allows us to viably sustain ourselves doing what we love. Then there's a financial quest where we're working not for money, but our money is working for us. We've made it our, we've mastered it instead of being a slave to it. And uh, then there's a family quest and that is to have a, a loving and intimate pure reflective conscious type of relationship where you really realize that whatever you perceive in them, you have in you and you honor it. Kind of like the namaste, the divine in me notices the divine in you kind of state. Yeah. And then there's also the social leadership quest where you have influence and you want to make a difference. And there's some sort of social um, legacy that you leave. And then there's also the physical immortality component where you would like to have a, a body you know, I mean, uh, if you could live to 100, 120 years old and still have a body that's functioning, that's pretty good. Yeah. And I'd like to see, I, I master all those. So I went on a quest to study all of those areas, to try to engulf those areas and study those and create, you know, the highest priority, most productive actions you could do to empower those areas. I always say that any area of your life, you don't empower people over power. So if you don't empower yourself intellectually, you'll be told what to think. If you don't empower yourself in business, you'll be told what to do. You don't empower yourself in finance, you'll be told what you're worth. If you don't empower in relation, you'll be honey do stuff around the house. If you don't empower yourself socially, you'll be taught misinformation and you'll be confused. And if you don't empower yourself physically, you'll be told what drugs to take and organs to remove. And if you don't empower yourself social, spiritually, you may have some sort of dogmatic, antiquated, geocentric, Aristotelian, anthropolog anthropomorphic kind of deity that you're uh, sucking up to or something. So I'm interested in empowering all those areas. And the seven secret treasures, your seven secret treasures, is the highest priority, concise actions that I've demonstrated working with people for 50 years now, plus 50 years, um, in empowering that, those areas. So that's what the book is about. The very practical, very inspirational uh, actions that you can do, the high priority actions you can do to empower those areas of your life. Because any area of your life, you're not empowered and people overpower you. And, you know, when I ask people if they're looking for a relationship, particularly if I ask women, they're looking for something <laughs> you, fit. You ask, you, know? you ask women if they're, they're looking for a relationship and then they'll well, say, I ask them, I ask them what they're looking for in a relationship. What they're looking for, <laughs> right. In like a romantic relationship, right? Yeah, a close relationship. Yeah. Uh, somebody that they're going to actually be more intimate with. Right. So they, they say, I want somebody that's fit. <laughs> they're still up at the top. Like they don't want somebody that's not fit. They want somebody that's attractive and fit. Yeah. They want somebody that's intelligent. Yeah. That can communicate in their values and relate to them and talk, articulate, you know, mm -hmm. intelligently and 
intelligent. They want somebody that's got some ambition. They don't want somebody that's, you know, depending on them. And they want somebody that's got resources, at least as much as them, if not more. And they want to have somebody that really wants to be with them, that they actually have affection for them, not 20 other women. <clears throat> they want to have somebody that's socially savvy. So if they're interacting with their people, they get along with the people they interact with. And they're socially uh, not inept, but they're adept. And then they also want somebody that's inspired by something, that has some dream that they're working on, that's inspiring to be around. So every area of our life, uh, we want to empower. And yeah. if we don't, then we're our standards of what we have in relationships and the areas of our life are less. So that's what the book is about, how to empower those areas, practical, uh, inspirational um, action steps that you can do that I am certain work because I've been doing it and helping people with it for 50 years. Yeah, that's amazing. So in that situation, when you're talking with the, the person about wanting all these qualities in the relationship, do you say, well, become those yourself and magnify? Exactly. exactly. Because, you know, you're, you're always asked. You're expecting that in other people, but are you willing to be that yourself? You know what I mean? Exactly. If you don't have it, then you're, 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 you may want it, but your unconscious is going to say you're not deserving it because you're, you're playing underdog and underdogs are playing altruistic. Bingo. So I had the story. Can I, can I share this funny story? Of course. I had this, I was doing this, this seminar in Calgary, Canada many years ago. And there was a lady that put her hand up and it was a relationship seminar. And this lady put her hand up and she says, Dr. Martini, what do you do when you're dating a guy that just can't commit? <laughs> and I said, well, there is no such thing. There is no such thing. But they're they're committed to the fulfillment of their highest values. Mm. They're not committed to you. They're committed to the fulfillment of their highest values. And they're looking at you relative to all the other options. And if they think that you can offer them more in the utilitarian aspect of all those areas, they'll be interested in you. So I, I and she goes, well, I, he just won't commit. She was stuck on that. <laughs> she didn't get it. Didn't get it. So I said, no, he's committed to what his values are. Yeah. And you're committed so he to your is committed, but not to his values. relationship. It's right. not you because so then I put on the spot. I love it. I, put I on love the spot. it. This is awesome. Yeah. I said, I said, so what are you offering him? What's in it for him? Ah. And I was quiet for a second. I said, are you some highly educated blue blood? you know, uh, Yale, Harvard, high-end educated woman that's got an exceptional mind. And she goes, not really. <laughs> I, 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 I have a high school. I started one semester in college and I didn't continue. I said, are you have a vast business that's business savvy that's going to help him in his business? Because from what I hear about him, he's he got an $11 million business that he's and he's got a good net worth and he's doing something good and he's 40-something years old. I said, do you have business savvy? And she goes, uh, I'm a secretary. I'm a, an assistant to an executive. I said, okay, so you could potentially help him in that. Do you have a vast fortune? Do you have a, you know, a dowry or something like that? You got some cattle or some cows or something you're going <laughs> to offer this guy? Go say, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. In Africa, that's the way it is. So yeah. she said, well, no, not really. I'm, I've got debt. <laughs> I said, I said, so do you have a, a history of, of stable relationships? She goes, uh, I've had about six relationships and the longest has been three years. 
And I said, are you socially connected? You can call Oprah on the phone and say, hey, look, Oprah, we're doing something. I need you here. Yeah. Can you, are you connected socially? She goes, uh, no, I live in a small uh, suburb outside of Calgary. I said, are you physically hot? You know, and are you a, what, a 10 on the Richter scale? And she goes, well, I'm pretty good there. I'm definitely good in sex. Um, and I said, okay. <laughs> yeah, so she on, got on, one. On those, or a half. One, I said, on those seven areas, your perception of yourself is diminished relative to him. And whoever's the underdog always wants to get married first. Yeah. Interesting. And I said, he's got, he's got the power. He's keeping his options open. He's making sure this is a deal. It's not that he's not committed. He's committed to what his life is, what's fulfilling to him and his values. And he's making sure this is a good catch. So I'm going to, I'm going to do something here. You're going to come to the front of the room. I'm going to put everybody in this room, including him on a, on an exercise. Okay. So I had him do the Demartini method, which he was actually there to neutralize his judgments of this lady. Anything he infatuated with or resented, it was to be neutral when it was done. So he could open his heart. Then I came up there and I said, the only reason you're not honoring yourself is not because you don't have what you perceive in others. Nothing's missing in you, but you're not honoring it. You're comparing your talents and your gifts to other people and minimizing them to people you put above you. And so therefore you're not honoring the magnificence of your real power. So I said, going there, so let's take and find out where your genius is. And I sat there and helped her realize who's the most ingenious person that she's got on a pedestal that she looks up to intelligent wise. And where do you have what you see in her? And it was a lady. And I said, and then in business, where do you have that? And when I went around the wheel and I helped her see that nothing was actually missing and it was her perception because the second we compare ourselves to other people and minimize ourselves to people we put on a pedestal, we don't value ourselves. Mm. And when we don't value ourselves, then we have this idea that he's, this is a good catch. I better grab it before he <laughs> finds out I'm not really good catch. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, what we did is we raised her perception of herself, not artificially, but by finding out where she actually had it in a form that was equal to the people she admired. Uh -huh. And what that did is raise the standard. And I didn't stop doing that for two hours. I did it for two hours while this guy was talking. Oh, my when God. That is amazing. Did you feel like her energy lifting and like Absolutely. heart expanding? Yes. Her perception of herself was elevated. Yes. And then she said, you know what? I've gone into three relationships and I've jumped in impulsively. Yeah. Thought this was the one. Been blinded by infatuations didn't actually make sure it was a catch for me and yeah. I'm doing it again. And right now I realize that I am a catch Yeah. and I'm, I'm going to calm it down. And I realize that yes, this guy's a great guy, but I'm going to calm that down and make sure I'm not going to play. I'm not going to push this. And now I realize that what he's doing was actually to my advantage. Cause if I would have been impulsive, I would have got into another situation and I'd been underdog, but by what you just did, it helped me realize that I had been denying where my powers were. And I don't need to do that now. So then she said, she said, that was amazing. Right now, I don't feel like I'm going to miss him. I feel that there's an appreciation for him, but I'm not feeling desperately needing him. It's a really interesting feeling. So anyway, it was lunchtime. So they went off to lunch. I gave him an hour for lunch. Okay. I came back from lunch. When we got back from lunch, there was about seven girls gathered in around a bunch of chairs. And the men were staring out the window. And whenever I see that, I know something just got bought. I know I know the sign. The guy and the girl, when they went to lunch, walked down the street about a block. 
and there was a jewelry store. They walked in and he bought an engagement ring. Oh my God. And he came back and she held up the engagement ring with tears in her eyes. And she said, can you believe it? I said, because you were devaluing yourself and putting him on a pedestal and minimizing yourself. And you were urgently impulsive with your amygdala trying to get a good catch instead of finding a match that's an equal and realizing what you have to offer and then have a balanced orientation. When you're infatuated, you're afraid to say the negative things. And all you can say is the positive things because you fear losing it. When you're resentful, you can only say the negative things and you're afraid to say the positive things because you don't want to mislead them. But when you love somebody and have a match, you can say both of them and be respected for being and give people feedback. I said, now you have respect. And I asked him, I said, all right, what happened to you? Did you get it by a truck when you walked out there? What, what happened to your brain there? He said, he said, he said, Dr. Martini, I've been with this lady for about a year. And not once did I actually have the feeling of what it would be like if she left me. She was always kind of smothering. Yeah. Desperately in a hurry. Yeah. I said, after we talked to you, there was, was a like, bit of a withdrawal. Not ready to get out. <laughs> it was a bit of a withdrawal. And I felt for the first time what it would be like without her. And I did this exercise and I realized the talents that I was superiorly looking down on, but I realized that they're great gifts that I need. And so I just, it was a natural thing. It wasn't something I planned. It was just, we just walked in there and I got an engagement ring. And so she came back and she was in tears and she goes, wow, I don't feel that there's an infatuation now. I feel that there's a now a mutual respect. I said, now that's the place to be in a relationship, not underdog, overdog position. Because underdog is monogamous. The overdog wants to keep their options open. That's the nature of the beast. Mm. Wow. That is so profound. I love that. And, and do you feel like she kind of shifted her perception of love to more of an unconditional love space of herself oh. and her partner instead of like, it almost seems like she thought she was valued if she would be married or in a relationship. Well, usually there's an unconscious motive. The more the urgency that's the external, you know, explicit urgency for marriage. There's an uncertainty sitting there in the unconscious yeah. and there's a wound. And so there's, there's all these things. And I, and I, I neutralize those and it's, it's not hard to do. It's I, I do the method. I teach it in the breakthrough experience, you know, and I, I just neutralize those until she was realizing that she wasn't missing anything. She was perceiving herself as underdog and she was thinking this is a good catch. And she thought this was going to be an advancement. But that's not what you want for marriage. That's that's a that's an infatuation. Yeah. When people confuse infatuation with love. And true love embraces both sides. If you mm -hmm. can't handle both sides equally in the pursuit of love, then you're not ready for the marriage. You're ready for the fantasy. And you're going to punish them when they don't match the fantasy. And you're going to be expecting them. And you'll be having an affair with a fantasy figure. And then they'll wonder why they went off with somebody else. Because mm. they're not feeling love for them. Okay, so then let's talk about your love. How'd you meet your girlfriend? <laughs> Were you doing this well, process doing with breakthrough. her? No. <laughs> I was doing the breakthrough experience, the breakthrough experience in Istanbul. Ooh. And, uh, she was in the front row. Mm -hmm. And I picked on her. You know, I I pick on some people in the seminar sometimes. Yeah. So I picked I picked on her. Uh-huh. Because I thought I thought that, that would be a you know, it always gets a good laugh. Right, right. 
and she came up on stage. So that's, that's, that's my girlfriend. That's our place in Istanbul. Okay, wait, wait. Let me just move this. Oh, my gosh, she's stunning. Is she a model? She's uh, one of the leading singers, actresses, and models in the country. So she's a very, very powerful lady. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And she was single? She was single. <laughs> she, she, the reason she came to my seminar was because she had had a breakup and she was needing a little of assistance. So I told her, I said, you didn't finish the exercise that I asked you to do. You might need some private assistance to help resolve this. But did you, you charge you her? That, did you charge her uh, session? No, I didn't charge her for that. I said, I just tried to help her finish that, that exercise. <laughs> then it turned into a bit of a, a bit of a conversation. So we, we call ourselves special companions. That's, that's, what uh, we call ourselves. that's wonderful. Yeah, that's wonderful. I love that. And, you know, it's so interesting because I think, I think about marriage and I'm married, um, uh, but I just think, you know, marriage can sometimes feel like you're bound to someone and, and I, and it seems like a partnership is more of an equal, um, freeing feeling. So I just think, I don't know. I just have a interesting perspective well, on marriage now. Any, any area of life that you're dependent on is the binding. Yeah. So you have to make sure you're sometimes people get in there and they go, well, he takes care of this and I take care of this. He depends on me on this one. I depend on that one. And any of those dependencies, I would rather hire people, uh, specialists to do all those things so we can just engage in a relationship personally. So I have, I delegate everything. I only teach, research, write, and travel. That's it. I don't do anything else. I have a clock person that changes my clock, believe it or not. I got people <laughs> that change all my bedding and clothes and clean my place, you know, I have people that I have the concierge service. I've got the pilot. I got the captain. I've got it. I, I, I learned a long time ago, delegate everything. My girlfriend says, well, can you delegate to Gerard Butler or George Clooney or Brad Pitt, the lovemaking? <laughs> so like, I would love you even more. I would love you even more. They say she jokes. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's really funny. Okay. So let's go back. I love, I love all this, by the way, it's like your personal journey. So uh, let's go back to the title a little bit, the, the seven secret treasures. Did you think about the movie, the secret, because it kind of reminds me of that, but I feel like it's up leveled slightly because it feels like more of an adventure. Well, I can't say that the, uh, I was thinking of the secret when I did that, the secrets about what, 16 years ago or 17 years yeah, ago now? Yeah, a long time. But uh, we did, I mean, I just took those seven areas. I have a new book that's coming out in about two weeks called Resilient Mind, The Resilient Mind. And that is on how to have adaptation and resilience no matter what challenges you face. And they have another one called Emotional Intelligence that's coming out mid-year. So I'm, I'm, I've got about, I've, I've signed a deal for 10 books. So I'm doing those 10 books right now. <clears throat> but there's a, this, the seven secret treasures is about, it, it wasn't, it, I mean, the, the term secret, it's only because most people aren't using <laughs> the principles. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's not really a secret, but it is. It, it's because even though people, like I had a gentleman I, I consulted with yesterday that was, had a big issue with his landlord and he's getting evicted from this thing because he had a fight with a landlord because the landlord wasn't doing what he was responsible to do. And so he goes, you know, I got no plumbing. I got no electricity. Come on, give me, a, this is not. So they're having a fight. <clears throat> so 
I'm going in there and helping them mediate and communicate and get come out on the other side of it. The reason why the guy wants this guy out is not really because of the fight. He's wanting to, he's got a, a sale about to go. He wants to make sure that it's a clean sale because that was the agreement, but that's not what's being said. So we found out all kinds of things in there. So any area of our life we don't empower, again, we become overpowered. So he's been overpowered by this landlord because he wasn't empowered. If he had saved and invested his money and had working capital, lots of working capital, he'd just go get another place. Uh, if he had a good track record with his with his landlords, he'd just have a good ref, uh, reference. He'd have more than one reference. So he's so I asked him. I said, "So what is this giving you the the, the learning about? You know, you don't want to just say this and blame somebody because false attribution biases don't get you anywhere." Epictetus, the Greek philosopher, said, first we blame others, then we blame ourselves, then we find out there was nothing to blame in the first place. It was just an order that you didn't see. <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying to help him see the order of what this is and the opportunities that this can bring instead of being bitter and being upset about this guy. Because he's just he's wanting to dissociate from reflective awareness. So <clears throat> by going in there and empowering these seven areas of life, you can navigate through life and see life on the way, not in the way. And right now he's seeing things in the way. And it's all, all we have to do is go in there and find out how it's getting you what you want. And he didn't see it. And once we got him to see that, once we got him to see that, he broke down in tears. He goes, oh, my God, my unconscious motives are being manifested to this guy. And I wasn't I was frightened of taking the action steps. And this is forcing me to go and do what I really want to do next. I said, exactly. Wow. He said, wow. I, I feel like I want to go thank the guy. I said, that's a much more powerful position to be in yeah. thankfulness than it is bitterness. Anything you can't say thank you for is baggage. Anything you can't say thank you for is fuel. And I'm not into forgiveness except this form. Thank you for giving me this experience. That's the only type of forgiveness. Because otherwise you're assuming there's something to forgive in the first place. And that's part of the illusion. But yeah. thank you for giving me this experience. Thank I, you for I giving me this that. experience. Do you know Adam C. Hall by any chance? Uh, Genius Studio, create uh, the Divine Genius. Uh, I, I'm going to connect you too. I, I feel like you have similar <laughs> philosophies, and and you can be on his show as well. I think I think that would be fantastic. Yeah, Thank I think you. you're. Oh, you're quite welcome. So, in talking about the book, is there a sequence to these treasures? Like a reason why you put. Uh, one at the top and well I, I like to think in past in the past in most cultures that were underdeveloped there was a slant in the testosterone um, masculine side there was a slant for financial business and intellectual pursuits and there was a slant on the feminine estrogen side for relationships, social interaction, and beauty and, and health. And so those had been slanted in that way. And today in the developing countries, it's almost androgynous and 50-50. Men and women are doing both those, both things. Mm -hmm. But at one time, the undeveloping countries, and still in undeveloped countries today, it's still polarized, where you have a not an androgyny, but a, 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 you know, a, a dimorphism between male and female. Ultimately, we have all the powers of all of them, but we aren't honoring them. And so we've been polarizing our perceptions for the for procreation. Now, as we bring those into balance, the fertility mortality rates drop. 
<clears throat> but as we were polarizing them, the fertility and mortality rates go up. So we had more procreation at the time, more proliferation, because the purpose of the procreation is partly to create offspring that have traits that have been disowned that you're overlooking when you're infatuated with a mate. And you're basically then have children to express the traits you're both not seeing in the other person, not seeing initially. So the children are there to teach you how to love all the traits, love both sides and teach you how to love the whole. Oh, that is so beautiful. Yeah. So, so this is epigenetically coded. So, so what happens is by using spirituality as the center point and on this side, intellectual pursuits, business pursuits, and financial pursuits. And this side, family pursuits, social pursuits, and physical health and beauty pursuits. I divided up into androgyny because it's all spiritual and we're all capable of doing all of them. You want to empower all of them. But there was a, there was a polarization and probably right now, according to a, a study that was done not too long ago, about 75-25 polarities is still existing around the world. So you still have countries that are still polarized. This is what the woman does. This is what the man does. But in the developing countries, it's become more androgynous. Now you find a complete spectrum. Some women are running massive businesses and highly financially savvy and highly educated. And the men are taking care of the kids. So now we have a complete spectrum of that whole thing for for people to master and empower. And there's a beauty in mastering them all. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. So you don't feel like one is necessarily more important than the other. <laughs> Just the mastery. No. Yeah. No, I, I, I wanted to master all of them. I, I wanted to create original ideas that serve human beings across the planet. So mm-hmm. I created original work. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to be authentic yourself. If you're not exemplifying authenticity, you won't get original work. Because it mm-hmm. only comes from a clear mind, not clouded by injected values of the people you subordinate to. Mm-hmm. I want to create a global business. I have students in every country on the earth today. And uh, we've, I've been in 192 countries. So speaking, so that's nearly the whole world, but not quite. We're getting there. I want to create financial independence. I've achieved that. I want to create, uh, you know, a family dynamic that's global. When I was 18, I read Einstein's work. And he said that, that I'm not a man of my, my family, my community, my city, my state, my nation. I'm a citizen of the world. So I live on a ship called the world. And so I'm Yay. a citizen of the world. I love that world. And, and so that's, that's I, I think of it that way. So I never away from my family. I'm living in a big house. And instead of walking to room to room, I fly or sail room to room. Instead of calling somebody by, by voice, I do it by WhatsApp. So it's, it's I'm never away. So there's no loss or no distance or whatever. Those are all relative terms. So I, I'm a firm believer in that. I also want to have a social influence. I want to meet people that had some sort of global influence and hang out with them and learn and expand my awareness and potential. And I've been blessed to do that. And thousands of people that I've met that's global influence. And then I want to be vital and, uh, you know, be an energetic guy. I'm 68 going on 69. And I'm still cranking and still put in full hours and full weeks. Oh, my God. I love. You look amazing. And I want to be inspired. I want to be inspired. Yeah. I mean, you look 39 or 40 to me. I mean, I don't know if it's new. That lets me know your eyes are going. Your eyes are starting to deteriorate. (laughs) Okay. Yes. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I'm 68 going on 69. Yeah. But it's your, it's your vitality too. You know, your love of life. 
and you know, you can just feel it in your soul and also your cheeks, your, you know, your cheeks are like red and rosy. So it's, yeah, yeah. it's amazing. I, well, well, I, I that's, slap I, myself for what I say. Sometimes. <laughs> that's bad. That's bad. Well, in looking at the book, I really like treasure number one, the secret and powerful treasure of wisdom, understanding, genius, and creativity. Can you share more about this and why you put it first? Um, I wanted to end on spirituality. That was the, I wanted to end up being inspired. That was the, the most important part. But each individual has a set of priorities, a set of values, things that are most to least important in their life. And whenever they're living by their highest priority, their highest value, the thing that's most important, they're spontaneously inspired to act from within and they don't need motivation extrinsically from without. And they just do it. They're inspired to do it. And so to me, uh, waking up genius is pursuing the thing that's deeply meaningful that is spontaneously inspiring you because whenever you pursue challenges that inspire you, you wake up genius. And I've studied genius for since I was 18. Oh my and God. I wrote a book on genius. So I'm interested in that. And, and I've studied thousands of people, literally thousands of people that are, that are, you know, incredible geniuses in music or art or thinking or mathematics or whatever it may be. But one thing that they do is they pursue challenges that inspire them. And that's how they wake it up. See, what, what most people do, they, they want to, with their amygdala, they want to avoid predator and seek prey. They want to avoid challenge and seek support. They want to avoid difficulty and seek ease. And so they keep trying to avoid the challenges that they need to cause innovation and creativity. It's the challenges that make you rise up and to come up with something new, not the support. Mm -hmm. If you see a child that's supported, I saw a comic, uh, somebody sent me a comical picture. It was an older man and a woman, uh, with a stroller with a guy who's 40 in the stroller and they're strolling him along and he's, he has no challenges and he's a little child. He's juvenile dependent. And that's very common today over, over, you know, supported overprotected children. So it's the challenges in life that actually wake up the genius, not the support. You need both, but it's the challenges when you, the people I know that are doing extraordinary things are people that are saying, okay, what are the challenges that I could tackle in the world, the big issues in the world that I could tackle and solve? And how can I make a contribution to the planet to really solve significant challenges? How right. do we get to Mars? How do we enter transportation? How do we get help people love their lives? I mean, whatever it is that's a, an inspiration and challenge to you to solve, going after it will create original ideas that serve in genius and creativity. Mm -hmm. So beautiful. It's just inspiring. Well, one of the other treasures I wanted to talk about was social influence, leadership, and legacy. Can you discuss that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, when you're living congruently in alignment with what you value most, you wake up in your executive function in your brain. The blood glucose and oxygen goes into the executive area of the brain, which is the media prefrontal cortex, the forebrain. And that area has self-governance. It has strategic planning. It has vision. It has execution of plans. And it also calms down the amygdala of impulses and instincts, which are distractions. So anytime we're living by high priority again, the same thing. We not only wake up genius, but we also wake up leadership capacities. So people who know themselves and know what their highest value is, because their identity always revolves around their highest value. Mine's teaching. I'm a teacher. 
whatever is highest on our value is what our identity revolves around, our purpose revolves around, and our epistemological area of expertise revolve around. So that gives us leadership skills by pursuing what's important and learning to delegate lower priority things. If we're not delegating lower priority things, we're devaluing ourselves. Mm. Whenever we do high priority things, we value ourselves. Whenever we do low priority things, we devalue ourselves. So if we're not delegating and getting onto high priority and creating an organization, we're not a leader. We do become a leader by sticking to what our calling and our mission is, what inspires us, and delegating lower priority things to people who would love and be inspired to do that. And surround yourself with inspiring people that love to do the things you want to delegate. That's why I have people that take care of all those things. And they love doing it. Yeah. If I, they come in twice a day to clean the room. The clock changes whenever we go to different time zones. I had a person, I have a, I have a light guy that changes light bulbs out. I have somebody for everything that's needed. Some <laughs> specialist for those. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. It sounds like a life of fun, adventure, and love. Well, so, if you're not doing what you love and loving what you do every day, you've got nobody to look at except yourself. <clears throat> yeah, good point. How can one be in awe of the world? Well, I don't see how you can not be. I mean, the world is an amazing place, personally. <clears throat> the more I study it, the more I see be, the magnificence. Yeah, they might be asleep if they're not seeing it. Yeah, because because most people, there's a thing called a moral hypocrisy. A moral hypocrisy is an idea that you're supposed to be one-sided. You know, be nice, don't be mean, be kind, don't be cruel, be positive, don't be negative, be peaceful, don't be wrathful, be up, don't be down, be generous, don't be stingy. And that's not going to happen. If you ask somebody, are, are, are you always positive? They'll go, no. Are you always generous? No. Are you always kind? No. But there's times when you have both. And, and, and uh, people have a fantasy of being one-sided. And then when they don't get to be one-sided, then they beat themselves up. Mm. And that's why there was a Catholic priest that said, sometimes religions are in the business of con control business by promoting guilt. Because if I tell you an ideal you can't live by, you're going to feel guilty because you're not doing it. You'll bipolarize yourself. So I'm not interested in monopolar pursuits. I'm not interested in, uh, you know, these moral hypocrisies. I'm interested in the mastery of human behavior and how people can be embracing. Because if you're trying to get rid of half of yourself, how are you ever going to love yourself? If you're trying to get rid of half of people, how are you going to love them? You're trying to get rid of half of your, of your the world and, and go, well, this is wrong and this is right. Those dogmatic polarities are what stop people from unconditionally loving life in the world. Mm. So I, I look for the other side. I always say, whatever I'm perceiving, where is the opposite? And I see that they're what they call a law of heuristic escalation. They're tangled with each other, like quantum entanglement, particle nanoparticles. And I find it and I go, oh, there's the other side. And I don't get caught to them because anytime you infatuate with something or resent something, it occupies space and time in your mind and runs you. The mm. moment you see both sides simultaneous, simultaneous contrast, you run you. <clears throat> Wilhelm Wundt, the psychologist, the, the father of experimental psychology, said there are simultaneous contrast and sequential. Sequential, sequential contrast is when you have a, positives and negatives and you're happy, you're sad, you're gyrating all over the place and you're, you're ungoverned. But simultaneous is when you see both sides simultaneous. See, when you're infatuated with somebody, you're blind to the downside. You're unconscious of the downsides. And you're eventually going to find them. And when you resent somebody, you're blind to the upsides. And you could eventually find them. Why, why wait and have the wisdom of the ages with the aging process? And you can have the wisdom of the ages without it by asking, what are, where's the other side? And finding it and see both sides simultaneously. 
and then you're poised and you're present and you're powerful and you're purposeful and you're productive and you're prioritized. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> I didn't know what to say after that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> or, uh, Lisa Nichols. Yes. Yes. So do you think that leading from your heart is essential? <laughs> That's the only, only path to lead from mm. the, the heart. The, the word courage, if you look at the root, the etymology of it, means heart. And the courage to be yourself, the courage to be yourself is more courageous than walking on fire or coals or doing a bungee jump. Those are nice metaphors, but the, the courage to be yourself in a world that's trying to make you fit into the world uh, of being an unborrowed visionary instead of borrowed visionary is more courageous than walking on coals. Yeah. So not, not from the heart, living from the heart is, is the mastery of the game of life. Yes. Yes. Wonderful. I agree. I agree. Connecting that heart and the mind and living from that space. So you talk about values. Why do you think living your values is important? Well, not just the values, but the highest values, because if you're not living, in, if you're living in lower values, Think, think about it this way. Imagine you go to work and uh, you have an agenda for the day. You have six things written down or seven things written down. These are the highest priority things I want to get done today. And then you get broadsided by a whole bunch of unexpected and you didn't get anything done at the end of the day. And you put out fires all day. And then you left and you went, whoa, what a day. What a <laughs> hell of a day. <clears throat> and then you come home and now there's chaos at home. And now you're highly emotional. You're in your amygdala. And you're probably going to overreact compared to a day that you go in there and no matter what goes on on the outside, you stick to priority and you get, get knocked out the highest priority things for the day and not let distractions and low priority things interfere with your highest priority things. Whenever you're doing the highest priority things, you're getting the most a human being can done done in a day. When you do, you're on top of the world. What a heavenly day. You come home and you can, you're resilient, and adaptable because in your highest values, you're more objective and more balanced. See, if, if you're highly polarized where a positive is, you're going to fear its loss. Highly polarized with a negative, you're going to fear its gain. If you're completely neutral in the Zen state, you don't feel the gain or loss. You're living in a master world of transformation, not the illusions of gain and loss. Yeah. Now you come home, you're resilient and adaptable, and you can handle what goes on. And your life is more fulfilling. Yeah, that, that's amazing. That's perfect for our show, Zen Success, how you brought that in. So what are some tips to master your mind? Well, I would say the quality of your life is basically quite the question you ask. So if you're infatuated and you're aware of the upsides and blind to the downsides, your intuition is whispering and trying to get you to be aware of it. A woman who's getting infatuation with a guy has a, another part whispering in their head going, too good to be true. Keep your eyes open. Be cautious. Watch out. Don't, don't be gullible. It's whispering. Because if she's infatuated, she's blind. So her intuition is trying to whisper the downsides. So if you take the time to do that, you won't sacrifice yourself for them. See, when you're infatuated with them, you'll be altruistically sacrificing what's normally important for you to be with them for fear of loss of them. Yeah. And that eventually, and then a woman's memory of everything she sacrificed to the guy becomes the source of her resentments later on. And a woman's memory of everything she sacrificed is more indelible than all the Intel computer chips. That's supposed to be a joke. So <laughs> you're like laugh now. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, would, I would be slapped. I'd be slapped. That's why my face is red again. <clears throat> now, 
But the same thing on you resent. When you resent somebody, you're blind to the upside. And your intuition said, there's got to be a reason for this is happening. It's got to be a purpose here. There's got to be some meaning in this. Keep your eyes open. Find the meaning of why this happened. So your intuition is always trying to reveal to you the side you're ignoring that you're unconscious of to make you fully conscious. Uh, so I'm believers asking questions to make you fully conscious. And that's what my Demartini method is that I mentioned in the book and also in my, my breakthrough experience to show people how to do that. So nothing on the outside can distract you and occupy space and time in your mind. You run you from within. I said in the secret, when the voice and the vision on the inside is louder than all that on the outside, you begin to master your life. And yes, yes, I love that. Oh, so it's been such a pleasure getting to know you and uh, hearing about your latest book, The Seven Secret Treasures, A Transformational Blueprint for a Well-Lived Life. So I'll put your website and how to buy your book and your breakthrough experience in the show notes. And by the way, uh, when is your next, do you want to talk about or promote uh, any live events or anything online? Well, if they just go to my website, they can take a peek of what's going on under events. Okay. okay. We have events every week. I'm about to start in in two hours. I start a conference in Australia. Okay. So I'll be doing Australia. Uh, it's a training program for value applications. So that'll be a four-day training program all day for four days. And um, so, but I, they, if they go on the events calendar, they can see where we are. But the Breakthrough Experience is the number one program that I've done. I've done it 1,170 times. Wow, so, you remember the number. That's so cool. Yeah, I keep it. Well, I'm, I am I wanted to build momentum, building something that was solid. And this is a very powerful program that anybody could benefit by, just anybody. And it, so is I it do that. Online, the Breakthrough Experience? I'm doing it. Well, it's not. It's me live, but I'm on Zoom. Yeah, you're live on Zoom. Right. I get it. I'll be doing some live too in some cities, but right now, since COVID, I've been doing them online. We just did a big one in India for 750 people, which was astonishing. It's the most we've ever done. Most of the time, it's never been over 300, but sometimes it's only 30, 40 people. So it depends on where we are and what country and et cetera, but it's a workshop. It's a very powerful two days, 26 hours of an intense exploration in the journey of self-mastery. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if any of our audience has a chance to do it live with you, I mean, I feel like they should jump on it. Well, thank you for being on my show today and uh, coming back. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you so much. That's it for today's episode of Zen Success. Head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to shows. Zen Success is also available on the radio in select markets through amfm247.com. Subscribe to the show and share with friends. Be sure to head on over to zensuccessshow.com to help you on your Zen Success journey. And join us on the next episode. May you find your own Zen Success in life.